Welcome to When One Thing Leads to Another, a podcast that takes you freewheeling down the great internet rabbit hole of trivia. Each week we pick a starting point and then who knows where all the twists, turns and tangents will take us. But we'll be sure to unearth a treasure trove of frivolous facts that will be as fascinating as they are, well, useless. When One Thing Leads to Another is produced and presented by us, Helen and Bill Rich. Our theme music is by Justin Mitchell. This is episode 17, The Grey Man. Recently, we were invited onto the brilliant podcast, Flix Watcher, to review a couple of films, weren't we? We were indeed, yeah. It was very nice to be invited. It was. It was lovely to be invited. If you haven't heard of Flix Watcher, it's flixwatcher.tv. And if you like movies, you should definitely check them out. It's a podcast all about the movies on Netflix, and they invite guest reviewers on each week to review different films. Yeah, it's a good idea for a podcast, isn't it? Because we're very often going on Netflix and trawling through films to watch. Oh, and, uh, I think we spend more time trawling through Netflix and Disney Plus than we do actually watching films. I think you might have a point. We had a brilliant time, didn't we, with Kobe and my namesake Helen. And we reviewed two films, The Grey Man and Zero Dark Thirty. So today's thrilling and action-filled episode starts with Netflix's most expensive film to be made so far. That's the- right. The Grey Man. The Grey Man. Which, by the way, we both thoroughly enjoyed, didn't we? We did, despite its incredibly unsexy title. It's a <laughs> it's a right cracking film. It's a riot. I love a bit of action, as you know, but if the action is balanced out with a bit of humour, then I'm as happy as Bruce Willis in an air vent. <laughs> But only 46% of critic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes are positive, which we can't quite understand. No, they're idiots. (laughs) They are. It's definitely better than that. It is. It's a romp. Watch it immediately. So if you don't already know, The Grey Man is based on the 2009 novel of the same name by Mark Greeney. In fact, there are a series of books, so I think the intention is to create a franchise. It has a bit of a James Bond feel to it, doesn't it? It certainly does, yeah. It looks like it's trying to sort of steal a bit of James Bond's thunder since his demise. Yeah, look out, James. There's a new kid in town. Um, Mark Greeney co-authored some of the last Jack Ryan books too with Tom Clancy ah, okay. before he died and um, continued his legacy afterwards too, writing four more of them. Um, but the Grey Man series are his baby. He's written 12 so far in the series. He's written 12? Yeah. Blimey, that's a nice long, potential long run of uh, films, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's what slightly worries me, that the reception to The Grey Man has been so lukewarm, isn't it? I hope that doesn't put the kibosh on future sequels. Did you know that a film adaptation of Greeny's novel The Grey Man was originally announced in 2011, starring Brad Pitt? Oh, okay. He doesn't strike me as an action hero. And later, Charlize Theron was going to take on the role in a gender-swapped version. Oh, okay. Oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. But things never quite came to fruition, and it wasn't until the Russo brothers, Anthony and Joe, got on board that things things started happening. They're, They're behind a lot of the Avengers films. Right, okay, yeah. Anyway... It's one of those films with fabulous European destinations as various settings. And one location I was particularly interested in was the amazing castle in Croatia. 
Um, you, you know where Billy oh, Bob yes. Thornton and his niece are being held, and it's where all the action takes place at the end of the film. Yeah, that's right. That is quite the location. Well, hey, get this. I feel a bit robbed Go on. because Zbrka. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's Z B R K A. Zbrka. Zbrka castle it doesn't exist what the castle we see is actually the chateau de chantilly in france which has been added digitally onto footage of miette island which at least is part of croatia it's just off the dalmatian coast oh i see so it's a composite of a french chateau on a croatian island yeah and zbruka in croatian means confusion mess Oh, well, there you go. There's some sort yeah. of uh, poetic uh, justification. So there you go. So the Chateau de Chantilly is about 30 miles north of Paris. Oh, OK. It's open to the public and it houses, amongst other things, the second largest collection of antique paintings in France after the Louvre. Oh, wow. OK. Well, that is pretty impressive. And it was also used in the 1985 bond film a view to a kill oh right okay pink floyd have played there a couple of times okay and footballer cristiano ronaldo got married there in 2005 did he yeah the wedding reportedly cost Seven hundred thousand pounds. Yeah, well, uh, Mr. Ronaldo is not shy of being a little hubristic on occasion, is he? Which got me to thinking: What's the most people have spent on a wedding? Oh, great question. Well, it does sort of depend on which website you go on, but the first thing I found was this: According to Guinness World Records, yeah, the most expensive wedding ever officially recorded took place in Versailles in France in 2004 okay. and racked up an eye-watering $55 million. Wow. The, the interesting thing for me was that um, the happy bride and groom were Venetia Mittal and Amit Bhatia. Okay. Venetia's father is the Indian billionaire steel tycoon Lakshmi Mittal. Right. Who was at the time the third richest person in the world, making him well suited to pick up the bill for his only daughter's big day. It's interesting for me because I've taught their daughter. Oh, wow. Yeah. She arrived into reception and she played the part of Mary in the Nativity and she was a delight. But she didn't stay for long at the school. I think they moved. Anyway. Anyway. The lavish wedding lasted for six days. Okay. And included an engagement ceremony, reenactment in the Palace of Versailles itself, a firework display, a, and concert by Australian pop singer Kylie Minogue at the Eiffel Tower, and a ceremony in the Chateau Vaux Vicomte. There were a thousand guests in attendance, each flown from India to Paris on 12 jets and accommodated in the five-star hotel, the Grand Intercontinental, at the cost of $2 million. You're going to tell me they're now divorced? No, 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 they're still together okay, as far as I can see. There's quite a lot of pressure on staying yeah. together, yeah. isn't there, if, yeah. if, if Daddy's spent $55 million on your yeah. wedding? Yeah. Um, but yes, as I said, it does depend on which publication you read, because there was quite a few top tens. Okay. Um, but a few other names in there Go on. are um, a lot of royals, of course. Charles and Di. Oh, wow. Okay. How much was Charles and Di's... Uh... Again, it depends on which website. Um, you you go on. Hit but me up with a ballpark. It was yeah. um, it was estimated to be forty eight million dollars, but when adjusted for inflation, that uh, goes up to between seventy million and one hundred and ten million dollars. Flipping heck! Yeah. Um. Also, Harry and Meghan, Will and Kate, Kim and Kanye, and <sighs> Wayne and Colleen. 
Just going back to the Grey Man and the fact that one of the locations was the Croatian island of Miet. Yeah. Um, did you know that Miet has its very own disease? I read with interest here. Ooh. Yeah. Maleda disease, also known as Miet disease, is an extremely rare congenital skin disorder in which dry, thick patches of skin develop on the soles of the hands and feet. It's a condition known as palma planta hyperkeratosis. Easy for you to say. <laughs> Just about struggled that out, I think. Um, and it's a genetic disease, and it's believed to have started on the island of Miet because from the late 14th century up until the early 19th century, mm. people were quarantined there for having plague and leprosy. Oh. And that facilitated reproductive isolation and inbreeding, oh. thus resulting in this rare genetic disease. Oh, I see. Okay. Oh, wow. Now, apparently the incidences of the disease on the island are now one in 200. Right. Which sounds oh, a lot to me. That does sound a lot. Um, however, the disease is now not exclusively found on the island of Miet, um, because in the past few decades, several cases of the disease have also been reported in some Mediterranean countries and in the Middle East, in places that were trade routes of the medieval Republic of Dubrovnik. Oh, right. Which incorporated the island. That whole thing of dumping people who are sick on an island is crazy, isn't it? It is pretty mad. Yeah. It reminds me of Spinalonga, you know, the island near to Crete that was a leper colony from 1903 to 1957. Good grief. Historically, leprosy was believed to be extremely contagious and divinely ordained, leading to enormous stigma against its sufferers. Right. The thing is, leprosy is not highly contagious. I was, that was going to be my question. Yeah, it's not. People with leprosy can live with their families and go to school and work. But what they did is they gathered them all up, chucked they, them on an island yeah. and said good luck. It was stigma. Wow. Yeah, terrible, isn't it? Brutal. Well, actually, separating people affected by placing them in leper colonies it still occurs in some areas of India, China and areas in the African continent and Thailand. Yeah. But yes, until relatively recently, Europe also put people in leper colonies, like, for example, on Spinalonga, just off the coast of Crete. I know about Spinalonga because I read a book called The Island. You read a book? You should have said. <laughs> By um, Victoria Hislop. It tells the tale of a school teacher who became a leper and had to leave her husband and two daughters and go and live on the island. It's a brilliant told story, but that got me onto the subject of Victoria Hislop. Have you heard of her? No. So in 2020, Victoria Hislop was granted honorary Greek citizenship for promoting modern Greek history and culture. Okay. And the following year, she was a contestant on Dancing with the Stars, the Greek version of Strictly Come Dancing. Oh, wow. Yeah. She is, of course, married to Ian Hislop. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the journalist, satirist, writer, broadcaster and editor of the magazine Private Eye. He also wrote for Spitting Image. Um, the yes. British satirical television puppet show. Of First course. broadcast in 1984. I found a weird story. I think you're going to like this. Um, so in the 1980s, the idea of subliminal messaging was quite popular. Right. It was rumoured that 1950s films and TV shows would occasionally throw up a message in just one frame saying, drink Coke or something like that. Oh, OK. Thus the subconscious brain would get the message whilst the conscious brain would remain completely unaware of this, save perhaps a surprised blink of the eye. 
the makers of the young ones in the 80s thought it would be funny to throw in a few of these subliminal messages in oh, yeah. some of their episodes for nothing more than shits and giggles. Yeah. And so flash frame images included a turn coming into land, a jumping frog, a skier, a dripping tap and the end credits from Carry On Cowboy. <laughs> Norris McWhorter had a bee in his bonnet over the whole thing and started a campaign against subliminal messages on television, probably inspired by the stuff about backwards messages in records or, you know, protect the children type thing. This is Norris McWhorter, yeah. who used to co-host the Record Breakers, Record Breakers with Roy Castle. Roy Castle. Anyway, he was on this campaign against subliminal messages and I think the head writers of Spitting Image, who were at the time Rob Grant and Doug Naylor, who created Red Dwarf. Oh okay, um, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, so they thought he was a silly sod and so that they should probably take the piss out of him with a subliminal message of him on an episode of Spitting Image. <laughs> and so apparently they superimposed his head onto a naked woman's body and flashed that on the screen a few times during a song called Big Busters. <laughs> Wow, that was a proper couple of fingers up there to old Norris McSquirter. Yeah, but these things are so quick, they're not almost not visible to yeah. you know the naked eye. But he then took them to court Ooh. after his 14-year-old nephew discovered the fleeting image of his uncle's head on the nude torso by using the freeze frame button on his video recorder. <laughs> he was like, I wonder how many attempts he had at that. Well, interestingly, um, I read a little forum on it and Big Busters was a song, it involved a lot of breasts. Right. So it begs the question, why was Norris McWhorter's 14-year-old nephew using the freeze frame button on his video recorder it during a song about It does beg that question. And I, I, I wonder if... Perhaps we all know the answer. <laughs> anyway, the court ruled in the end that it was not a criminal offence. For whatever reason, I didn't dig too much into the ins and outs of it. But the thing I found funny was this section from an article reporting the case back in 1986. Handing out photographs of the offending frame after losing the case, McWhorter said, the reason I took criminal rather than civil proceedings was because transmission of subliminal messages has been repeated. It has also been admitted in writing. Transmission of subliminal message is essentially deceitful. I want them stopped, he said. I just love the idea that he was actually handing out flyers yeah. of his own head superimposed onto a naked woman's body. <laughs> So continuing with the subject of Spitting Image, mm. the programme has a very impressive alumni of comedians and impressionists mm. who voiced the many puppets. Mm. There's Chris Barry, oh. who went on to do... Um, the British Empire and, of course, he was Rimmer from Red Dwarf. Oh! Yeah! That Chris Barry? Yes! Oh, that's him? Yeah, he... yeah. Okay, Steve Coogan. Oh! Oh, who we've know. mentioned before, yeah. who started his career, TV career uh, on, on the Krypton on Factor. The Krypton Factor. Um, Aid Edmondson. Oh. Harry Enfield. Oh, yeah. Uh, John Thompson. Okay. And Michael Fenton Stevens. Oh. Now, who yes. you may remember was yeah. in the Heebie Jeebies with Angus Dayton and Philip Pope. Yes. And they were a sort of spoof Bee Gees uh, parody. Parody, weren't yeah. they? And Fenton Stevens also did Radioactive the radio comedy programme from which KYTV was the TV spin-off. I, I used to love KYTV. Anyway, do you remember, this is going to seem a bit random, but do you remember the famous quote attributed to 
John Lennon, where he says, when asked, um, was Ringo Starr the best drummer in the world? Supposedly, John Lennon replied, he's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. Can you do that in your John Lennon voice, please? He's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. <laughs> yes, I am aware of that quote. Well, that quote is a total misattribution. Oh. Yeah, total misquote. There is absolutely no evidence, no recording of John ever saying that. Right. However, there is evidence of someone saying that line in the 1981 comedy programme Radioactive. Oh. Which, as I said, was uh, Michael Fenton Stevens. Yeah. And it's him who says it in an episode called What's News. And the uh, the line was written by Jeffrey Perkins. Oh. You may recall. Yeah. He um, was also in KYTV. He was. He was also actually the head of BBC Comedy in the 1990s. So, oh, brilliant. So that's where that line comes from. And everybody thinks it comes from John Lennon. And it comes from a bloke who used to do Spit and Image. Brilliant. Brilliant. We're not talking about Gary Barlow, mate. Thank you for listening to When One Thing Leads to Another, a podcast produced and presented by us, Helen and Bill Rich. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please rate and review us on wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe, and that way you'll never miss an episode. We'd also love to hear from you, especially if we've got any of our information wrong, or you have some more fascinating facts about something we've talked about, or you could even suggest a subject for our starting point. Our email address is when one thing leads to another at gmail.com. A massive thank you to Justin Mitchell for letting us use his music as our theme song. It's a track called Homo Erectus, taken from his fantastical album called The Garden of Earthly Delights, which is available to buy from bandcamp.com. Thanks also to Acast for hosting us. Join us next week for another episode of When One Thing Leads to Another. Please note that all facts have been found on the internet and therefore we cannot vouch for their veracity. Mm -hmm.